reading is uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. You can find that on page 1041 in the Pew Bibles. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you, David. It was great to hear one of those 800 and something languages, wasn't it? Fantastic. Now, I want you to get involved in a bit of liturgy. I know some of you will hate this, but just trust me, it's easy liturgy. Because all you have to do is turn to someone that you're not scared of, turn to someone that you think will be okay with this, and simply say to them, God loves you in an amazing way. Not yet. They will reply to you, And God's grace towards you is amazing. Got it? So you say, God loves you in an amazing way. And then that person will respond, and God's grace towards you is amazing. And if you're not word perfect, don't worry. Ready? Off we go. Okay? Great. Thank you. Thank you for being so responsive. I thought it was wonderful when John Spicer asked Brian George to come down and dance on the platform. And then when that little boy joined the two princesses, I thought, Brian's looking a bit shorter and a lot younger than the last time I saw him. Fantastic. But the songs that I guess probably Beth chose that John has led us in this morning capture it, don't they? 
Because what we're going to be speaking about in terms of being fruitful on our front line, we'll come to in a minute, but it's all about grace and love. And one of the songs early on said this, this is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, that you would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And a much older song, a hymn, that many of you knew by word today, is amazing grace that begins like this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Whether you're aware of that or not this morning, and I guess the vast majority of people here are aware of it, there is a God who loves you in an amazing way. If you just walked in off the street and you never go to church, but you just felt desperate and thought, I've got to go and see if there's anything in this love of God. Let me tell you, this God loves you in an amazing way. And His grace towards you. In other words, He wants to give you the best of everything. Not because you deserve it, not because I've deserved it, not because anyone here deserves it. It's unmerited. That's what grace is. He just wants to give you grace in an amazing way because His love and His grace are truly amazing. The thing is that the way He will communicate that love and grace more effectively than anything else is through the people I'm looking at right now and through me. That we've got this amazing opportunity. So we've been in this series on what it means to be fruitful on the front line. And the front line, I guess, is wherever we are when we're not asleep or at church. At work, at our sports club, at our retirement centre, at our school, at our college, in the factory, on the door queue, wherever we are. We're called to be fruitful on our front line. And we've been asking ourselves seven questions. I guess dear Steve and and dear Rachel, who did this time tomorrow so helpfully for us today, they must have been asking, what do I want to be like? And Rachel has been listening. She's got it bang on. She wants to model godly culture. She wants to minister truth and grace. She wants to do all this stuff. She wants to model godly character. These are the questions we're asking ourselves, the M7 questions. Am I modeling godly character? Am I making a difference right where I am on my front line? Am I making good work? John Spicer talked about that. He wants to show God's love just by being the best professor he can at the university. By being the best team leader. By being the best visiting examiner when he goes to other universities. And ministering grace and love that that I'm going to talk about today. I want us to minister grace and love in the church, but way beyond the church. Because do you think it's a bit easier on a Sunday? Maybe it's not. I don't know who your friends are in church. But it should be a lot easier on a Sunday morning than it is Monday through to the following Sunday. And wherever we are, we're called to minister grace and love. Because let me tell you at this point, I have the title minister. Do you know what that means? It just means servant. The underlying Greek word just means servant. But we're all called to serve. We're all called to minister. We're all ministers in the same way we're saying we're whole life disciples. We're all called to be missionaries. Tim Searle, who's with us this morning, is going to speak to us next week on molding culture, on being salt and light. And then we'll go on to a message about being a a mouthpiece for truth and justice. We'll ask, are we willing when it's tough at work, when someone gets treated unfairly, are we willing to risk the black mark the boss might put on our record by saying, actually, boss, I I don't think that was fair. I think that was a bit of an injustice towards Billy or Brenda. Remember Billy or Brenda? Okay. 
a mouthpiece for truth and justice, a messenger of the gospel. When someone asks you for a reason for the hope that you have, are you willing to tell them with gentleness and respect why you have a hope that life's longer than this earth? That there's a God who loves you and that you've come into a relationship with him. And then are we prepared as individuals and as a church to make other disciples as a disciple? Because that's bottom line, our vision, to be a whole life disciple-making community. Disciples that make other disciples. And today we come to this great story that is deeply rooted into Western culture. Most people in the West will at least have heard of this or some of the language that flows out of it. The story of the Good Samaritan. Let, let me just ask you, somebody respond to me. Have you heard of an organization called the Samaritans? What do they do? Somebody said, listen. That's exactly what I got at the nine o'clock service. It's a great one word answer. Whatever else you said, that's good as well. But they listen to people. But often people are about to, in such despair, end their life. The Good Samaritans. The Samaritans, pray for them. Not all of them are Christians by any means, but they want to listen and make a difference to someone who's at the end of their tether. But you see, this story that is so rooted deeply into our Western culture that we use the language that, oh, that person's a good Samaritan. You've heard it, haven't you? They're a good Samaritan. We mean it's someone who goes the extra mile, someone who puts themselves last, puts someone else first and does something. Whatever the person is, is like, they just show them love and they show them grace a good Samaritan. But if they had known, if we had known, if people knew how deeply this is rooted into the culture of the time of Jesus in the Middle East, they'd be shocked that Jesus would choose a Samaritan as his illustration of someone ministering grace and ministering love. Because the Jews, and he's speaking to a Jewish expert in the law of the Jews, hated, absolutely despised the Samaritans. And the Samaritans likewise. They were the northern tribes that had intermarried in the exile when the Jews were swept off into slavery after uh, Jerusalem was conquered and the whole of that land that we now call the Holy Land. They'd intermarried. They worshipped pagan gods. They were disguised, disca described as half-breeds, which is an awful thing to say. The Jews hated the Samaritans and vice versa. That is the shocking truth. So the story of the Good Samaritan today is a story of a human being, happens to be a Samaritan, who is just ministering grace and love. The background and the context is this, verse 25, if you go to the story, if you've got your Bible, that this expert of the law stood up, we read, to test Jesus. And he says, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is incredibly diplomatic. He says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What do you understand by it? That's what Jesus says. That's the context. And then the man gives a good answer. It's very clear. We'll come on to that. The expert in the law seems pretty expert. But the further context is this, that Jesus has sent out the 72 disciples. If you look at the beginning of Luke 10 and the first two verses, he sends out the 72 to preach the good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. In different accounts, we get this full description of what he was sending out the 70 or the 72 to do. And in verse 17 of Luke 10, they return with absolute joy because in ministering grace and love, they've seen the sick healed, demons even submitting to the name of Jesus, and they've seen people's lives turned the right way up. And they're full of joy. Listen to what they say in verses 22 to 24 of Luke 10. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father, says Jesus. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turns to his disciples and he says privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it and hear what you hear but did not hear it. They were full of joy because when they were sent out, people got a glimpse of Jesus through them. So you and I can have full joy when people catch a glimpse of who the Father is, this good, good Father, whose love and grace is amazing through your life as we minister grace and love to people ministering grace and love. Who would be the Good Samaritan today? I want to make a suggestion. You've been watching your television screens and reading your newspapers and listening to your radio recently. Who do you think, other than by their own community of radicalized Islamic followers, are the most hated, feared, and despised people on the planet at this moment in time? ISIS? Jihadi warriors? What if I came and used as an illustration a jihadi warrior, a radicalized Islamic ISIS member as the person ministering grace and truth? It'd be be staggering, wouldn't it? It's hard to capture the, the culture that Jesus is speaking into and the radical, shocking example that he uses, but maybe that gets close. A man had been on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. That 17-mile walk from Jerusalem to Jericho was a long descent down, maybe easy in that sense, rather than going back up, which would have been hard, but it was rocky, it was near a desert, there were bends and twists as it wound its way down. Basically, if you do the maths, and my maths isn't good, but check it out for me, a 3,300 foot descent through one of the most dangerous roads there was where there could be bandits and robbers around any corner. And there were. They beat the guy, the Jewish guy, till he's half dead. They strip him probably naked. They take his clothes They take his money. And then this guy comes along, this Samaritan. And he's not the first one to get there because there's been a priest, a Jewish priest, on his way back from duty. So no excuse that he couldn't do anything for the man thinking he was dead because that would make him richly unclean. He hasn't got that excuse because he's off duty. He's on his way home. Or the Levite, the lay person, if you want to describe him that way, the temple assistant. At least he checks the guy out, but he still does the same thing as the priest. Did you pick it up? They both passed on the other side. Any of us done that this week? Passed on the other side. Didn't make a phone call we should have made. Didn't send a card. Didn't write a letter. Didn't go to a neighbor in need. Let me confess something to you. Been a lot going on in our lives recently, but we kind of guessed that the neighbours opposite, maybe the gentleman who I'd already got a good relationship with, took a bottle of wine to him, which he was delighted when we first moved in and stuff like that because of some kind things he'd done and helped us. 
we're pretty sure that maybe he had a little spell in hospital, and I'm still yet to go and find out how he's doing. I promise you today, I will be there this week. Because in the busyness, you know? Or maybe the danger, what if the bandits get me? What if they beat me? What if they strip me? What if they leave me half dead? We walk on the other side. I need to cross the road and see my neighbor and say, I'm sorry I didn't come sooner. I, I, I have prayed, but I, I thought, you know, there might be something wrong. Now, we're pretty sure he's back home now. So our prayers have been answered, but I should have just gone, you know what I mean? Anyone else relating to me in this that sometimes you just forget or for whatever reason, you, oh, I'm the only one, that's really bad news. Where are our frontline opportunities to minister grace and love? Where are they? They're everywhere. They're on the road. They're on your journey and they're on my journey. They're in all those places. They're in the accountant's office. They're on the dole queue. They're wherever we are. And they're sometimes in the most unlikely and scary places. That road that I've described to you is a pretty scary place to walk, certainly when it was dark, when the sun was going down. And this man had this horrific experience and he would have just been left there to die if it weren't for the Good Samaritan. Sometimes, despite the fear, we have to cross the barrier of fear and make a difference. So the road is everywhere. It's our journey. It's sometimes in the most unlikely and scary places, but this is maybe the most significant thing. It's sometimes with the most unlikely and undeserving people. Now let me say a word about this. I hope you've seen that behind me the point has undeserving in inverted commas. Because you see, I'm undeserving. Why, why would God forgive a 32-year-old atheist male chauvinist pig of a boozy rugby player, as my wife lovingly describes me. Not now, then. Why would God break into my life and do what he did when I was undeserving, when I rejected him and didn't believe in him at all? Why, when we had a stillborn baby and I had no inner strength to get through that and be there for the woman I love, why would God reach out and help me? And then when I ignored him completely having promised in some way I didn't fully understand I'd change. Why did he again reveal himself to me when we thought we were going to lose another baby? I was undeserving. Well, because of his amazing love and because of his amazing grace, and in a sense we're all undeserving. Ministering grace and love is about generous living, generous forgiving. It's about generous care and compassion, but we see it supremely in Jesus Christ. And as we move on, a question that we should be asking ourselves is, why? Why and how do we minister grace and love to others? Why and how do we do that? Well, here's one of the whys, because God the Father commands us. Because Jesus the Son has modeled it to us. And how? Because the Holy Spirit will enable us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Indivisible. All the same in substance. The core teaching of Christianity in its true form over 2,000 years, more or less, is this. That there's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. God the Father's commanded us to love in this way. Do you know in the first service, Rod Ross, who's Rod? 
Ross had us singing, Abide With Me. That beautiful hymn sang, at, I think it's still sung at FA Cup finals, is it? Abide With Me. And in that, Jesus speaks over and over about the fact that he's the vine. His father's the gardener. And that Jesus wants those who are grafted into the vine to bear fruit over and over again. Jesus says, you'll bear fruit, you'll bear much fruit. But Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father... I have made known to you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. What comes next? Love each other. And Jesus has already said this to them. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That's how amazing God's love is. That his one and only son came into this world and gave his life for me and for you. He ministered grace and love with everyone he met. He had some sharp words for the unbelieving and the religious right wing, the Pharisees and the scribes. Oh yes, he did. But he had unremitting grace and love amazing grace and love to everyone else and supremely he showed it on the cross because he loved that much that he gave up his life to blast the barrier between me and god and you and god out of the way so that you could have all of your sins and mistakes dealt with and come to god in a way that we never deserved but in a way that is all about his grace and love that's called the gospel the good news Paul put it this way, Christ's love compels us, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Christ's love motivates us, Paul could say. Christ's love urges us, Paul could say. Christ's love demands of us, it compels us that we minister grace and love. But the Holy Spirit empowers and enables us. Do me a favor. Put your hand up if you're a Christian today. Don't, don't want to embarrass anyone who's not, but go on, don't be embarrassed. Just put your hand up. Put your other hand up if you receive the Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, every one of you should have two hands in the air. Look, charismatic worship, John, there you go. Listen, it's no more spiritual to put your hands up than it, that it isn't. But I want to make this point. If you know and love God the Father, you've come to God the Father through God the Son, you have received the Holy Spirit. Now we are urged to be filled, to go on being filled, to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit empowers us. Listen to a story that's straight out of Acts chapter 3. You see, the Good Samaritan, he, he had a few bob, didn't he? It was still a sacrifice. He gave two denarii, two silver coins. He takes the man on his own donkey, he walks, he, he binds him up with probably his own torn clothes as bandages after he's poured wine and oil on there. This is getting expensive, but when he gets the innkeeper, he not only gives the two silver coins, he says, look after him, care for him, but when I'm on my way back, I'll come back and whatever other bills he's run up, I'll pay the lot. Generous. Forgiveness, because this is a Jew he's caring for. Generous lifestyle, generous love, generous grace. Well, the apostles in Acts 3, who are going to the temple, they didn't have any money, they didn't have any silver. 
And there's a beggar who's lame, begging there. They can't give him any money. They can't give him any silver. But they say, silver and gold we have none, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand and be healed. And he gets up and he jumps around and he leaps around and he creates a stir and he creates an offense to the religious right wing because this has been done. They try to silence the apostles. But right there, they minister grace and love in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd love to see more healing on the streets. I'd love to see more healing in the church. I'd love to see more of the miraculous, wouldn't you? But let me tell you that some of the biggest miracles are when there's someone that has really caused you a lot of pain and a lot of problems and you just cross the room and with tears in your eyes you say, you know that you hurt me, but I just want to forgive you. Because I know God loves you. And I know that by His grace, I'm going to love you as well. Please, let me forgive you. Let's be reconciled. That can take a miracle, yes? Ministering grace and love. But let me say this as we come towards the communion table and worship. As I begin to draw to a close... Why do we minister grace and love? Because God the Father commands us. Jesus the Son has modeled it to us and the Holy Spirit enables. That's the kind of the why and the how. But I want to say this. You remember the 70, 72 that were sent out? How did they come back? Full of what? Does anyone remember? Full of? Full of? Joy. Full of joy. You've heard me say this before, but Christians are people who should be full of joy, shouldn't they? And my usual way, my axiom for this is I've met too many Christians who say, oh, I have the joy of the Lord. But it's a deep down joy. It's not a frivolous exterior joy. I have this joy that is deep within me. It's so joy that you would need a pneumatic drill to get at it. (laughs) Well, that's okay, and I get that, and I don't want to knock that kind of thing. But can't we just recognize that we're bound for eternity, we're forgiven, God gave His only Son for us, we're loved in an amazing way and be a bit joyful. And minister is grace and love. This is a joyful and wonderful adventure with Jesus. It's exciting. I was not here when John spoke about making good work. But whatever he said, and I'm sure it was sensible, I know this, that the alternative carol service last year, there's a whole pew, a whole row full of people who don't normally come to church who were there, and I spoke to them, and it was a privilege. Great people with amazing brains that had a good night. They were there. Why? Because they got an invitation for someone who I presume had modeled a bit of grace and love to them. Are you with me? John Bunyan said this, You and I, you and me, we've not lived today until we've done something for someone who can never repay us. Isn't that good? Shall we read that together? Some of you are hating this style of delivery, I know, but let's just go for it. Let's read that together. You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. And then a different John, more up to date, the founding pastor of the Cornerstone Church in Texas, San Antonio, a megachurch, a charismatic evangelical Bible-believing megachurch. John Haggie, the founding pastor, said this, the measure of a person's greatness is not the number of servants they have, but the number of people they serve. 
Do you agree? We, we value sometimes people who've made it, who've achieved it. But what John Hagee and John Bunyan help us to remember, that the measure of a person's greatness is not the number of servants they have, but the number of people they serve. We've not lived joyfully until we've done something for someone who can never repay us. I, I want to tell you, I had a debt that could not be repaid by me. And I'm reminded as I come to this communion table today that I had a debt that Jesus paid that I could not possibly have paid. As I come to this table, I remember that Jesus died my death and he paid my debt. And on that cross, he ministered grace and love. His body was broken for me and for you. His blood was poured out for me and for you because the full extent of our heavenly Father's love for us was shown in Jesus Christ who served his Father and us on that cross and with extravagant forgiveness even forgave those who nailed him there. Do you know, my final point is this. As we come to this communion table... Our response should be this week to look for frontline opportunities. If you look for them and you pray for them, I guarantee you'll get them. If you can come up to me next week and you prayed this week regularly and you've had your heart and your eyes open for an opportunity to minister grace and love and you think it doesn't happen, come and tell me. And then if it doesn't, hasn't happened for you and you come and tell me, we'll pray that it will the following week. But I'm pretty confident that if you pray and ask God, He will give you a frontline opportunity in a very simple way just to minister His grace and His love. But let's think of the final thing that Jesus says here, the final four words in verse 37 of this story of the Good Samaritan. And there can't be a better way to end a sermon than this. Jesus just says this, Go and... Do likewise. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for me, first of all, that this week I will pray for and seek opportunities to minister grace and love on my front line. Lord, wherever I am on this study week, whatever I'm reading, whoever I meet, maybe it'll be on a supermarket checkout. Maybe it'll be crossing the road to see that neighbor and his wife. However it is, Lord, help me to model grace and love on my front line. Help me, Lord, to go and do likewise. And then I pray for my brothers and sisters that as we come to this communion table, as you minister your grace and love to us, Father, through Jesus, as we receive bread and wine to remind us of all that he has done and all that you have done in him, touch us and empower us by the Holy Spirit that in loving response and gratitude we might live generously, forgive generously, and care generously and compassionately for others on our front line. Help us, Lord, to be fruitful, we pray, and for your glory we ask it. Amen.